0: Welcome to Slayer Fest '98. I'm your host Ian Carlos Crawford, and I'm your other host Matthew Rodriguez. And today we have a very special guest. Introduce oh my gosh, yourself. I'm so excited.
1: Hi, I'm Jane Espenson. Yay!
0: Hey, oh my
2: gosh, Jane
0: Espenson! <laughs> <laughs> we are absolutely thrilled to have you on, and we are super thrilled to have you on to talk about an episode you wrote pangs um also so normally we have our guests tell us their buffy origin story how they came to the show what episode they first started watching with but um clearly your origin would be a little different so tell us about like what brought you to write for the show
1: i i think my origins uh oh first of all i'm very excited to be here it's fun (laughs) to talk about a specific episode and get to dig in i uh I normally don't get to do that. Uh, so I'm very glad you're doing this show. Cool. Um, Thank
0: you.
1: And I think my origin story probably is the same as everybody else's. I was uh, uh, just looking for a new show to watch, and my friend Michelle said that I might like Buffy. I was skeptical, uh, <laughs> but I checked it out. And I know, I can't remember whether I saw the hyena episode first, you know, with Xander and the pack of hyenas. Or if I saw Ted, the one with John Ritter, (laughs) definitely those were among the first two I saw, and I was just blown away. They were so good. So smart, so funny, so witty and new, and I became a huge fan, and it actually sort of diverted my course. Up until that point, I'd been working in half-hour comedy uh, and sort of trying to figure out if I should transition to drama, and uh, seeing Buffy really made that decision for me, so I I wrote uh, an hour spec script at that point, I only had half hour writing samples, and uh, insisted that my agent uh, get, it to, uh, get it to the Buffy program so that I could get, uh, make a play to get on the staff, and I, and I got it.
0: Wow. That yeah, what is, was your
2: spec script about?
1: It was, uh, at the time you used to not write spec pilots, but you'd rather write an episode of an existing show. So yeah. I wrote an episode of NYPD Blue, with a very funny uh, subplot uh, that Joss really ended up liking.
2: <laughs> That's oh, actually- so you didn't have to write a spec script about Buffy. It could be about anything.
1: In fact, it can't be about Buffy. Uh, um, the, okay. the one rule of writing, of writing a spec script is you don't write it for the show you want to get on because you, you're never going to pass that test. Nobody's ever going to read your spec episode of whatever, and uh, you're, you're just going to break all sorts of unwritten rules that you have no way of knowing about.
0: Huh. Okay. That's actually really interesting. That's also like living the dream. Like, oh, I was a fan of this show, and then I got to write on this show. That's really awesome.
1: It's really awesome. I've had it happen a couple times in my career. The same thing happened with Battlestar Galactica. Just oh, a big wow. fan. And then I got to got to get on the staff. It, it's really amazing. It really is like getting to walk into the TV set.
2: <laughs> so what, like, when? Just uh, to clarify, what season did you start on, like, in the writers' room in Buffy?
1: Started in the room in season three. So I was there for three through the end. So I was there for five years.
2: Amazing. Yeah, I'm
1: and I, I was becoming a fan and. Season one or two. When was when was were Ted and the hyena episode? Were they seasons one or two? I'm not even sure.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, hyenas was one and Ted was two.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> so um Matthew and I both have interesting Buffy origins that our mothers are the ones that got us into Buffy. Yeah.
1: Wow, we've reached that point, have we? <laughs> <laughs> well it was, when it was still on.
0: Yeah, when no, it, when
2: it was on. <laughs> yeah.
0: Course,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it was more like my mom... I So you started on season three. I actually... My first episode was Anne in season three. Mm-hmm. And my mom, I guess, had, like, seen some of it over the summer when they used to replay it. And then, um, you know, she, we we were, like, religious entertainment weekly readers in our house, and they were always huge fans of Buffy as well. And so I think she was just like, we should, like, make this our TV viewing thing that we that we watched together. And so um, we watched... Buffy together on Tuesdays
1: oh that's wonderful I like that (laughs)
0: Um, yeah my mom we both of us have um, strong Puerto Rican mothers and my mom would always say that she liked Buffy because it was one of the first things she saw that like where the woman the women were the ones fighting and it always bothered her in like old shows that she would watch when she was a kid that like the women were always the like you know one being saved And both of my parents are pretty nerdy in general. Like, my dad, I would always watch Star Trek with my dad. Um, and my mom was more into usually action-type thrillers. Not Like, Star Trek is probably, like, too nerdy for my mom. Like, she thinks that kind of stuff is boring, but I like it. I like both. Um, but Buffy she liked because it was, like, the woman was in charge, so she liked that. Um, yeah. Um, and I remember my first memory is watching my mom cry in the kitchen, watching Buffy stab Angel. That's like my first memory of the show.
1: <laughs> oh, that's
0: that's
1: amazing.
0: And I remember being like, Mom, you're being ridiculous. And she was like, oh, no, you don't understand.
1: <laughs> 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 True. I love that Buffy... Joss would talk about how there are three parts in the title, you know, Buffy, Vampire, and Slayer. So you got sort of comedy horror and action all in, the, all in the title. And I think the fact that the show hits so many different notes, like, it's very, very funny. It can also be very, very sad. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's part of what makes it so durable.
0: Yeah. No, totally. I mean, I, <laughs> I told you this before, but you guys, like, are what made me want to become a writer, the writing on Buffy, because yeah. for me, that's, like, You guys actually all spoiled me because I feel like every show or movie or even book I go into, that's what I want. I want it to have all equal parts of everything. Like, I want it to make me laugh and also make me cry and also make me, like, on the edge of my seat. Um, Right. And I saw, uh, I actually read the X-Men animated series from, like, the early 90s. I read something about how it was one of the first cartoons to do, like, serialized television. And how, like, you know, a lot of TV shows and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I saw a lot of comparisons between that and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was, like, that's funny because the X-Men cartoon was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And then I think that's what brought me into Buffy, too, was, like, oh, we're getting these characters and they're making me laugh and they're making me feel feelings. But also we're getting, like, full stories and not just, like, one-offs. Yeah.
2: Also interesting, the thing that those have in common, too, right, is that, like, as If you compare them to ideas of, if you, if you will, like superhero genre, which Buffy can sometimes live in the superhero genre as well when it comes to like questions of power, like um, the old shows, like no one was looking for interiority on Adam West Batman, right? <laughs> so like when did it come to the point where we could talk about like, the interiority of people who have like these really special powers and Buffy is like one of the first shows to take those questions and put them in high school or in college or like in that world like how does a superhero think about their power and like what, how it makes them different or special or not special? You know, all those kind of questions.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think the show right from the beginning did something really unique in making the characters, particularly Buffy, a fully fledged person. Um, and yeah, dealing with her inner life and, and using the action metaphorically you know it's inner demons as outer demons and taking her emotions seriously and yeah, balancing all the different humor using humor the way i think it is best used which is a lot of people think the only purpose of humor is to undercut the drama you know to relieve the pressure and it you can use humor to do anything you could do with any other line you can use it you know to to throw suspicion over there or to to, uh, to lighten the mood, to darken the mood. If you establish that a character jokes when they're scared, they start making jokes, you get more scared. Uh, yeah. you, you can, and I think Joss and the show in general just really understood um, how there was very confident writing at Buffy. Uh, I, I felt very lucky to be there and learn, learn from um, that whole staff.
2: So, Jane, we have so many questions about this episode, Pangs. I hope you're ready to <laughs> dive into this, because we were talking even before we were on the phone with you, and we just, I mean, we both love this episode, and we're so happy to be able to ask these questions to the person who wrote the script.
1: Oh, I'm so glad, and as we sit here today, we are mere days away from Thanksgiving, uh, I rewatched it last night, so I'd be all prepared, and I'm so I'm totally in the Thanksgiving mood and ready to do my best to answer any questions.
2: <laughs> totally, that's exactly how we feel. <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's just talk about the beginning to like the teaser part um, with like seeing Angel. Um, I, I mean, I think this the, the, this show, the the teaser, like it. This is a very like um, I guess run-of-the-mill opening, you know, she's in a graveyard, she kills a vampire, and then something, but there's something else that's watching her. I mean, you just, it was in even the Living Conditions episode when it was Kathy's family, who was, like, family member who was watching her, or, like, when Spike is watching her in the Halloween episode, but, like, kind of flips it with us seeing Angel, and this is the first time that we see Angel since uh, Season 3. So I guess, you know, what was the was there like a discussion in the writer's room? Like when is the appropriate time for us to see Angel again in season four? And and why did you choose now?
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> or, uh, was it, or was it the networks being like, you have to have Angel this many episodes into the season?
1: I don't remember how it was determined. I don't know if I ever knew. I think it probably was just presented as this is the timing that's going to work best in the shooting schedule of both shows because mm. you know, this was his turn on on our show, and then she went to Angel.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And uh, I think the plan always was that the two shows would continue to diverge and that we probably wouldn't continue to do crossovers. Um, uh, You know, they're in different networks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, And and so uh, I think the plan was always that we would just do this one. So it so could have just been like this is... This makes sense. We're not the two shows aren't haven't diverged too far yet, and probably just scheduling of it would make sense in their schedule and our schedule for this to be the that point in the season. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't actually remember. I I'm certain this was just handed to me as um, I mean we did the 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 breaking of the episode as most staffs do, you know, in all together in a room. Right. Particularly on Buffy, it was an extremely top-down process. Um, so, you know, it really was often very much us all sitting looking at each other while Joss wrote on the whiteboard and sort of laid out the the whole episode as it as it emerged from his brain. So I suspect I was just told. Not only was I told Angel will be in this one, but he will be in this scene, in this scene, in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so well, very much, it is all very much handed to you. This the structure.
0: Hmm, that makes sense. Um, so, I really love. I think. So clearly, you guys like. I, actually, not clearly. I'll ask you. What? Uh-huh. At what point did you guys know you were gonna keep Anya on Emma Caulfield? At, like Anya, as a character, not just have her be like randomly reoccurring. Because I feel like this episode almost feels like this is a hundred percent the Anya we know we get to know and love. And like Mm -hmm. you write her perfectly. And for me, this is the model for what she is like for the rest of the show.
1: Oh man. See, I just rewatched the episode. I didn't rewatch it in context (laughs) (laughs) preceding it. uh, Yeah. She feels like our Anya here. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't aware that she felt differently earlier. Um, Uh, I mean she is they are still exploring here it are they girlfriend boyfriend um and so it's clearly early on um and yeah i just i love that character i love her bluntness i love that she says what she's thinking um
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know at this point we didn't have cordelia anymore <laughs> and i i loved you know the uh episode earshot where we got to hear everybody what everybody was thinking and how it contrasted with what they were saying and cordy (laughs) just said what she thought uh anya has that same quality and we we were missing that with the with the loss of cordy uh so it's great having her around but i i can't really speak to when we decided uh to make her a regular or uh or or as the evolution of her character (laughs) i just dove into writing her as 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 i saw her
0: I mean, it's really funny that you brought up that Cordelia scene, because Matthew and I always, we've spent, you know, we finished recording season three, and we've, like, every episode where Cordelia has a scene, we spend a lot of time talking about it because we love Cordelia, and someone on Twitter was like, what are you guys going to do now that Cordelia's not on the show when you get into season four, and we were like, (laughs) we're going to talk about how much we love Anya all the time now. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. I mean, she really is. Uh, and any character like that can just cut through stuff. It's so useful. I mean, not just because that is a funny trait to have, but it really helps you get exposition out cleanly. Other characters would have to hem and haw to get exposition out because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings or because it's a te- sensitive topic. And Anya can just cut right through it, spit it out, move the story along. It's it's fantastic. <laughs>
0: Oh my God, I'm, I'm loving hearing you talk about Anya because Anya, Matthew and I, we literally, we either talk about Cordelia or Anya. Those are like how much we love the two of them.
1: <laughs> uh, she's great. I think she's, of all the characters, she's the most like me. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I really enjoy writing her. And she was very funny in this episode. Um, uh, she's good because because of that bluntness it's very unexpected when she gets a little emotional moment so that emotional moment of her going like oh i'm your girlfriend is it really hits it hits hard because you don't expect to see that kind of uh warmth from her
2: yeah well i mean i love that scene and one of the things that i wanted to ask you about i mean like Anya is following almost this like gendered script, right? Like when she sees Xander sick, she's, she's like, Oh, you're sick. Like now I am your girlfriend. I must, Therefore I must take care of you. Like you're not going to work. And she takes charge in this very like, Oh yes, I've seen this. Like this is how uh-huh. I'm supposed to act way.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, that's true. I think Anya does to a certain amount follow a, this is what humans do kind of script. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, I'm thinking now of their, their number in the musical, which was also sort of a, a traditional couple number. Um, uh, yeah, and yet she is uh, uniquely powerful, and and she doesn't forget her vengeance demon roots. <laughs> I mean, that, was, that was another great moment, whereas Andrew's like, you don't negotiate with vengeance demons, and she's like, wait! <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so that opening scene... We Matthew and I were discussing before we called you how Buffy's cowboy hat look is so iconic. Um, we we hosted a Buffy trivia at the Stonewall Inn in New York, and what I did was I cut out all the like faces and just like put the outfits on like a background and had put it up on the screen and had people name who wore it and what episode. And we used the cowboy Thank hat you. and that dress. Um, was it on purpose or was it coincidental that Buffy makes a reference? to the village people about Xander, but is also wearing a cowboy hat at the time.
1: Yeah, that's, that was coincidental. And I would say a little infelicitous, I think, uh, (laughs) I think it plays against the joke under, in a way that, that hurts the joke. Uh, I did not know she was going to be wearing a cowboy hat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's very cute in this, you know, in the, the Cowboy and Indians reference that's Khalid being made. Uh, I just don't think I had been told about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Um,
2: I would, you know, I'm interested in, so like, you know, you were talking about it being a very top-down process and you kind of knowing the beat, all the beats that you had to hit. I mean, well, more of that, it was coming from Joss. I mean, when you usually into a script, you know the beats, but it more all coming from Joss. But as the writer... You see, like, when I see this episode and I see, like, the native spirit thing, like, my head goes to, like, Shining or Poltergeist or, like, other big horror movies that have done the, like, you know, oh, you're on a sacred gravesite type thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, like, even though you got all the beats and you knew what had to happen, like, did those kinds of things influence you, like, being able to do the, like, Native American grave story?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly the you know the the ground is sh- well trodden. We know that the, the the desecration revenge story has been done, but I I I there was no need for me to really go. Oh, how have these other things handled it? Because it's so straightforward. You desecate a, desecrate a gravesite. Someone gets pissed. Um, that just that's all you need to know to write it. Um, I didn't feel like I wanted to, you know, reach for certain visuals. I was much more concerned about getting some actual historical details of what the shoemash would very rightly be pissed about. I was much more concerned about getting those references right than getting any uh, inside media references right.
2: So did you go and do like research and things like that?
1: I did, which I normally don't do on a script, since I normally work in fantasy and sci-fi. It's not like I need to go on a bunch of police ride-alongs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I know writers on, um, on other shows, like, have to go to an autopsy. And it's like, no, we don't. Oh, Thank God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Anything like that. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was unusual. But, yeah, I I drove up, oh, first thing I did was I took a map of California into Marty Knoxon's office, and I said, can you point at where on the map you think Sunnydale is? And <laughs> she pointed, and it was up around Santa Barbara, <laughs> and I said, okay, so I'm going to look up what, what Native Americans would have been there. Okay, it's the Shumash, and then I drove up to Santa Barbara. I looked up where there were, like, Shumash museums and collections, and, uh, I drove up to Santa Barbara and stopped at um, various sites and, like, talked to some ladies in a gift shop and talked to a curator at a museum and, um, you know, found some people with some Shumash ancestry, found some books in the library, you know, did a little looking at, um, you know, some common words in the language and um, just did as much as I could in a few days' time to sort of go, like, okay, I think this is as close as I'm going to be able to get uh, in the time I have to not making this terribly insulting. I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's dodgy territory. Uh, you know, you don't want to do something disrespectful. You don't want to get things wrong, but you've only got really in TV, you've really only got a few days. Uh, so, you know, I, I still worry sometimes when I, when I look at it going like, geez, I hope this isn't offensive.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like, I mean, I feel like this episode takes a pretty progressive, especially for the time, like stance. Like Willow, I so would you say Willow is almost like your point of view from the episode, like writing the episode?
1: Yes, I I definitely found it a lot easier to write Willow's point of view than Spike's. Um, I, I think Joss probably pretty much wrote the the Spike about like look you're conquering people there's nothing you can do to make <laughs> them feel better which is a very interesting point of view I mean it's not he's not saying anybody deserved anything he's just saying your respect buys nothing because it is way too late <laughs> yeah,
0: to think yeah.
1: respectful words are going to do anything like like but that's just not how I would ever articulate it. I would be much more like Willow going like, well, the least I can do is try to get the words right. Um, So, yeah, but it's, I I love arguments in which everybody's got a a strong point of view, you know, and uh, in which you can, you can put on the hats in turn and go, okay, I see their point of view. Okay. I see their point of view. And this, this was a good good example of that, I think.
2: Well, Well, yeah, they do have that, the argument which I wrote in my notes is one of the first post-library arguments that feels like an argument they would be having in the library, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> it has that same tone. And one of the things that I think comes from that is that like, each of the characters in this episode becomes this like almost like alternate version of themselves because they like, really all have to take this stance on how they feel about Native Americans as like, or like genocide, right? in right. order to move forward with the plot. And, like, you know, you have Willow being kind of, like, super woke about Thanksgiving and everything, and coming from her, like, very, in, in a lot of ways, a very, like, freshman year of college, like, I'm learning all these new things, and now I'm angry way, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then um, I'm interested, though, in, like, writing Buffy for this episode. I was talking to Ian about this. So, like, her thing isn't that she doesn't care but I'm really interested in like her obsession throughout the episode with making a perfect meal and like what you were thinking about it as you wrote it because for, for this episode you really don't see a lot of Buffy having to problem solve as the slayer you see her like as a person and it reminds me of like the type A go-getter Buffy who during homecoming or something like that like that aspect of her personality
1: yeah I mean this is just cl- she, she didn't want to have this conversation she just wanted this is yeah very much like just i just want to be a normal person i just want to do thanksgiving i I, uh she didn't want conflict you know as as the host of an event doesn't want conflict and people and humans in their lives want to minimize conflict wouldn't it just all be nice if we could sit down and eat the pie (laughs) um and and just sort of she's sort of i guess the taking the point of view of like most of contemporary america which is just like don't talk about it at the dinner table. <laughs> uh, and one of the notes I got, I remember getting notes from Joss and Marty uh, on an earlier version of the draft where they were like, she read in some places in my original draft, like she was possessed by a dinner demon. And they were like, you know, like make, this has to be clear. This is just a normal person who wants to make dinner. And there is nothing supernatural about her obsession with the sweet potatoes. Uh, So that was an adjustment that had to be made to, to dial that back a little bit.
0: (laughs) Um, It's funny because I was telling Matthew that like, I love this episode. Um, I'm really glad you picked this episode in season four. Um, I had like normally, you know, I, Before I had this podcast, most of my Buffy dialogue was in my head or, like, with a friend or whatever, but never, like, deep discussions of episodes. And prior to the podcast, I maybe thought this would have felt a little out of character for Buffy, but now that I've been doing this podcast and discussing these episodes, it makes sense for her. Because, like what Matthew said, we saw it in her in Homecoming when she wanted to be the Homecoming queen. And, like, she chanted her inner prom queen, as she says... Um, and it does fit with her character 100% that she is type, she can get like that, where she's like, no, we're just going to do the thing, everyone's going to shut up and we're going to do the thing and we're going to have a fun time. Um, and I kind of love that.
1: Every now and then she's a little bit of Monica on Friends.
2: Yeah, that's a really good... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, so also I wanted to ask you about, because this is a theme for the rest of the show, kind of, that Willow doesn't like Anya. Um, And I kind of, it's one of my favorite beats in the episode is when her and Buffy are planning Thanksgiving and she's like, oh, we could not invite Anya. Um, (laughs) What, like, is that something that you chose to do or was it kind of organic? Because I mean, it does make sense that Willow would hate Anya because Anya was the one that brought her evil vamp self into the world and, you know, tricked her into doing the spell. So was it, was that like a, you were told she hates Anya or like, did you decide to do that?
1: Oh, wow. Had that not been established before? Uh, I I don't recall. <laughs> Senator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I probably, I, if it wasn't established, if it was something I chose to do, then that would have just been me going like, boy, you know, Anya could be a bit of a load. Uh, it, you know, for anyone to put up with because of the bluntness and the yeah. vengeance demon and past interactions, and she's with Xander and Willow, liked Xander at one point, and uh, it, it does just sort of make sense. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall being ever being told it. I probably just, um, if it hadn't been established before, I probably just said, "Oh, this makes sense," and and would give her, you know, some heightened funny attitude.
0: <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask you about. Doing a Thanksgiving episode—it's the only Buffy Thanksgiving episode. Um, What was it like—a choice from Joss? Was it a choice that the networks want you to do a Thanksgiving episode? Because I really love the idea of—I mean, not many like supernatural, like nerdy shows do holiday theme episodes—and I really like that this is a Thanksgiving episode. That's especially not an episode that's normally done on any kind of supernatural shows.
1: Yeah, we we did a on Once Upon a Time this year. We did a Halloween episode, and we'd never done a seasonal, even <laughs> Halloween. I mean, we're a fantasy show. We'd, yeah, we'd done one before, largely because uh, on that show the characters come from fairy tale land, and it raises some questions about like which oh, yeah. characters celebrate an American holiday and stuff. So we we got to do it this year, and it was really fun. And on Buffy, it came. I, I'm certain it didn't come from the network, although the network sometimes enjoys a seasonal episode because they can promote it. Yeah. Um, but I think it, we were just sitting around uh, trying to come up with what would this episode, what should this next episode be? And one of the things you do is you check the air date. Okay. When is it going to be airing? <laughs> oh, look, it's going to be in the Thanksgiving episode. And I remember Joss Ooh. saying that he had always wanted to do an episode in which Americans had to try to enjoy their Thanksgiving dinner while there's a dead Native American on the table because it's like, like, this is what this is, you realize that like, <laughs> you are, you are, this is a holiday built on some, some
0: bodies. I mean, yeah, the Anya yeah. line that you wrote is perfect. It's a ritual sacrifice with pie. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, it is. It's,
1: it's, it's very, it's a very sad, the, the story of our, the early days of our country is a very sad story. Um, and so he had wanted to do an episode that highlighted that, and he said he said it in a way like like this was an idea he an idea he'd always had even pre- before Buffy. He said right. it not like I've always wanted to do an episode of Buffy where this happened, but just like I've always wanted to do a Thanksgiving story like that, so that was the seed of the episode. It just started with okay well how do we how do we get that? And of course, we don't actually literally have the body on the table right. at the same time as the dinner. But they, but they do sort of both happen. Yeah. And in the same room. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think yeah.
2: that it's interesting to choose, like, season four for a Thanksgiving episode because I feel like, for me, uh, I don't know. So, you know, on the podcast, we ask a lot of people, like, what their favorite seasons of the show are. And I'm a big season four fan from a writer's perspective. I think it's, like, there's so much gorgeous writing in the season. And one of the things I love is that it really explores to me like one of the larger themes of the show about like creating an alternative family and like, you know, what they all become to each other. And Thanksgiving is like, to me, the the the, the holiday that most evokes, like going home, being with your family. And instead, like not like she doesn't even, you know, I, you know, you wrote the thing that Joyce is away. Like none of them are with their biological family. They all choose to be with each other. And it happens right before you know in the back half of the season, they're gonna all kind of go their separate ways before reuniting, so I thought it was also like really apropos for this to be the season that has that Thanksgiving episode.:
1: Yeah, I think you're right. um I th- and you're absolutely right about that being one of the major themes of the show is that the family you make um that's that's I think young writers all, all of you ra- young writers out there are uh beginning writers. Oh, even established writers. What the heck? <laughs> think about what your signature themes are. What are What are you trying to say with your writing? What themes just do you keep coming back to? Because it's really powerful when you identify them. And uh, very much that was one of the themes that, that guided this show. Um, and, yeah, I think you're right. I think it, it does fit nicely in season four. Um, and uh, uh, it's very much about this, this little family. Um and yeah. And oh and you asked me I know you've got a question coming up about Dawn and I have I have some family thoughts about that. Oh I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I also I just wanted to also point out the I tweeted it out today because I just I was rewatching the episode again and I Love the quote, and I just, like, screen-capped it. The When Buffy's talking to Giles, and it almost is a callback to Lie to Me, the episode where she has to let her friend Billy be, like, sired by Drusilla and Spike. And she tells Giles to lie to her, and she says she's going on this tirade to Giles, and she's like, the thing is, I like my evil like I like my men. Evil! And I just thought that was such a good... Because I feel like all of us can relate to like a disastrous dating history, and Buffy definitely has a disastrous <laughs> dating history. Um, so you know, I find myself being like, same Buffy, I, I totally relate to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean that there is that longing for clarity and that and that's Thanksgiving is a confusing holiday if you want clarity because if you want it to just be... Sweetness and pie, you have to ignore a lot of stuff. You have to do what Buffy's doing. Yeah. Um, Shut that all out. Um, And, yeah, then that's, uh, yeah, that's what she's doing in that moment.
0: And I think you do a good job of making, because Giles is always the sweetest, sweetest father in the world. He's, like, such a good dad to all of them. But Mm -hmm. I think in this episode you do a really good job. He takes that little bit of a turn where, he's. I mean, he's not quite Trump supporter, but, you know, he's, like, not quite getting what they're discussing, and just kind of getting annoyed that Willow's being so, like, oh, but actually it's this, and he's kind of, like, annoyed at that. Um, And I think you do a job of, like, making the point of still, it's still the Giles we love, but also, like, he's the dad figure, and that's very, like, I feel like, you know, everyone has that point where one of their parents or guardians is, like, you're like, oh, wait, you don't 100% get this, and you don't really want to. Um, and that's kind right. of where Giles is, I feel like, when they're bickering. I mean, the only thing difference here is he has a point they need to get rid of the demon, the demon's killing people, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, I, my favorite moment for him in this episode is when, after Spike does his big rant, when Giles says, like, I made a number of these very important points earlier, but nobody listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny episode where he and Spike are sort of articulating the same point of view. Um, but both of them are sort of post-Safe Spaces. Yeah. They're both like like safe spaces help you feel better. They aren't helping the person with the actual grievance here. Um, and uh, yeah, like you were talking about, so sort of freshman year of college, and and both uh, Giles and and Spike have sort of an older person's point of view. Yeah, uh, it's 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 interesting to see them on the same side.
2: Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up to, that I want to bring up this episode is um. We often, uh, Jane, just so you know, our podcast often talks about, like, giving Buffy a really queer reading. I mean, we're both, both our hosts are queer, and we have a lot of, like, LGBTQ guests. And, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that your sh- that the show has, like, a huge queer following. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this episode always makes me think about, I was actually just talking with this about someone about how Thanksgiving is coming up and Thanksgiving is historically such a hard holiday for queer people, like going home and having to be silent and just like not talking about stuff. Um, and I would think, I'm thinking about re-re- re-watching this um, as Thanksgiving comes up. I'm thinking about how um, Willow is separated from Oz and is like, <laughs> like is, it start, is gonna start exploring her queerness. And so it's this really weird thing where like, you know, like Anya and Xander are like the heterosexual couple that are there, and then like Willow is really like this silent queer person at the dinner table who like doesn't yet know or who isn't out yet. That's what I was thinking about the whole time.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's very interesting. I think it's interesting to go back and look at Buffy through that lens because, which I think is a, is very legitimate. I think it's a very legitimate way to view the show, um, even if Willow had never come out on the show the metaphor of Buffy's experience as someone who had this inner life as a slayer that she had to hide. Like even that would be sufficient to support a queer reading, I think of a lot of episodes.
0: Um,
1: and I think you're right. This, this episode about this family that replaces their, their nuclear families, uh, could, could definitely be read as like, um, there are families beyond biological. If you won't, if you don't get support there, find support here, uh, yeah. at the very least. And I, I think you're actually digging maybe at some at an even deeper reading of it that I that I haven't thought about.
2: Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is the scene where Buffy and Riley meet up and just kind of talk about their Thanksgivings because I was talking before about like writing Buffy as a human and. As opposed to with Angel, where they just kind of, like, were star-crossed lovers and fell in love, like, seeing Buffy have to, like, flirt in college is a really, I would imagine for you, like, as a writer, just a really cool opportunity. Like, what is it like to see the most powerful, like, girl in the world have to flirt as if she's just another blonde girl, right?
1: Right, yeah. And the interactions with Riley were so interesting because they were so... Oddly normal. Um, so, for his, when he described his Thanksgiving, I just sort of, you know, I'm from Iowa. I had to figure out where he was from that hadn't been established at this point. Oh. And because I'd spent so much time reset, researching the shoemash, I didn't have a lot of time to like think about <laughs> where should Riley be from. The quickest answer is always to just use your own experience. So, I was like, oh, what if he came from like a farm near Huxley with rivers and dogs? <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I know how, I know what that Thanksgiving would look like. Uh, so the, I loved I loved writing that and I uh, making him an ION was fun for me, and yeah, it's different a different mode of Buffy is always fun to write. the The character at any at the center of any show is always the most difficult because they have the most aspects to their personality. Anya is very easy to write. She has a very mm. um, strong but. Single faceted personality, whereas Buffy is very hard to write because she's so multifaceted. And and that that interaction you're talking about with Riley is is one of those one of those
0: facets. It's just a little different look on her. Hmm. I mean, I I've said this a million times in this podcast. I think that you guys all benefited. Like it was like everyone was doing A plus work. It was like you guys had the good writing, but you also had these actors that were really good, like, you know, Sarah was really good at going between being the Slayer and then just being normal teen girl, flirting with this, you know, guy that she likes. Um, And, you know, not always can people do both of those things, you know? Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: Sarah's fantastic. Sarah's really good at at playing all the different different aspects of of Buffy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always... (laughs) I always... The joke is always, oh what part of the episode made Ian cry? Like anytime Sarah or Allison have like an upset look on their face or they're about to start crying, it, I'm always like, uh, 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 I know I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> Did you find yourself like writing something for Buffy or Willow, like knowing that Sarah or Allison would be able to deliver it in like just that way. Like I'm writing this because I know Sarah will be able to deliver this that way.
1: That's a great question. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like. You hear their voices in your head as you're writing it. And, yes, you you, you, you smile when you hear their delivery in your head. And uh, every now and then, though, they don't say it the way you are certain they're going to say it. Um, so, uh, uh, Allie tripped over the word cavalry. Um, if you listen to it in the episode, it, it still doesn't sound quite right. She always said cavalry. Huh. <laughs> and get an L in there before that V, uh, and just couldn't get it out of her head. And it was one of those where it's like, well, in my head you're saying it perfectly. <laughs> when I typed this; it, it sounded like a word you would say. <laughs> um, it was just, you know, people have weird, weird little mental blocks or whatever. You're just your tongue doesn't do what you think it's going to do. So that was one of those where 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 the mismatch between how I heard it and how she said it was was so amusing to me. Uh, I mean ultimately it sounds great in the episode that the joke works she sounds fantastic she Ally's awesome but it was just such a surprise
0: um we so we discussed this as well what went into writing harmony like when uh, when did you guys decide uh, that you were going to bring her back that she was going to date Spike like how did all of that come about and I yeah i'm just we're, we were both pretty interested in the yeah. decision of bringing harmony back cuz she totally works but it almost feels like, oh, I would have never thought to bring back this big part. Right. And I just wanted to add, too. I wanted to ask you that because you had also
2: written Harsh of Day, which is when Harmony comes back in a really big way. So you've kind of written the two episodes that right. in the, the beginning of season four that deal with Harmony the most.
1: Right. And that was before this one, yes? Yeah. Yeah, that was early in the... Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember discussing this, the decision to bring her back. I don't know if it was discussed or just presented to us as we've got Harmony coming back. Yeah, um, probably with the exit of Cordy, um, that made sense, and to give Spike someone to talk to. If you're bringing Spike in, mm. and you know you're going to have a lot of Spike, you got to give him someone to talk to, so we know what his plans are. Um, we didn't have, we didn't have Drew anymore, so I mean, it just makes sense. You'd you'd need someone to fill that that. Slot and Harmony had done really good work for us. We didn't realize what a treasure we had in Mercedes until we brought <laughs> Harmony back for Harsh Light of Day, and we're like, "Oh my God, she's hysterical! She's <laughs> really good." We just, you know, there she was over Card- Cordy's shoulder, snarking some line, but you can't really tell yeah. if there was more there than that. Uh, so that was that was really great, um, and yeah, it was. Uh, the idea of, you know, Drusilla and Spike had this like soul deep connection and just what, what's the funniest take on his next girlfriend? It's the <laughs> girl, he just, he has no connection with at all. And you, you just know he's missing Drew. <laughs> uh, and, and she's still, the idea that you could become a mythical, ageless, immortal creature and still be shallow it's fascinating to me <laughs> that like Cordy is going to spend, Harmony is going to spend an eternity being shallow. Um, so I, I love that and just embrace that. Let's not give Harmony anything mystical or otherworldly. Let's just have her be the same girl, but a vampire. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and so, yeah, she's, she was great. And I love that exchange where he finds that she's got a spike, <laughs> a stake in the bed that that'd be like having a gun under your pillow it
0: yeah
1: all over it wrong, you're dead
0: <laughs> uh, uh,
1: only harmony would think that's a good idea
0: <laughs> um and I also love her like I've watched I read a few chapters of a self-help book and now I'm reciting mm-hmm. it back to you dialogue with spike um that feels like so like th- that's something she would do she read four chapters of that book and was right. like, "They're right. I don't need Spike." And then just like says yeah. it back to him. Um, yeah. Uh, so what? Hmm. So <laughs> for with bringing Spike back and bringing Anya in, did you? Did you guys? At what point did you plan to bring Spike back? As because I think this is the first episode where he's in the credits, or it's the episode yeah. right before it. Um, uh-huh. Like what? What went into that decision?
1: Again, I have to speculate because the you know, the actual decisions of the time are are lost to history. Fair, uh, uh, but my guess is that Joss knew all along that he was going to bring him back mm. to um to be in the season, and that um, the decision to wait and put him in the credits was just like to slowly reveal that to the audience. Although maybe it has to do with the contract of when he became a regular. Mm. You know, that's all like you get someone for five of the first 10 or three of the first seven and with an option for five more that have to be completed by episode 15 so everyone can be out for pilot season like these contracts are have these odd little provisions and when someone becomes a regular and then you put them in the credits um Hmm. so i that's a long way of saying i don't know
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i think more so even than him being a regular it's the idea like this feels like the episode where he kind of not joins the gang, like, not like he's ever really a Scooby, but he comes to them in his hour of need, right? And, like, they have to invite him in, and it just feels like the episode, and in an episode about family, like, he's kind of coming to them, but also, like, he's not even, like, he's allowed at the table, but he's bound, and he can't even eat, right? But it, it's just interesting, like, is, it, it feels like the episode where you also feel like he and the Scoobies are getting past their prior stuff and are gonna try to interact more.
1: Absolutely. And and to get to make them not be idiots to let him in the house, you know, you had to we had to put him at his lowest point. We had to we didn't want the viewers throwing their shoes and saying that our that the gang was being stupid. We wanted a great deal of empathy so that I remember Joss pitching that thing where Spike looks in through the window and sees the vampire family enjoying Thanksgiving <laughs> and the older vampire welcomes the younger vampire and offers him the victim's neck and you know josh just really wanted us to feel for spike so that when when he came stood smoldering in the doorway um it would it, we'd want to welcome him in uh and I, I think it works very well and yeah he is he does once someone's in your home helping solve the crisis they're uh, they're part of the team he he does start to be part of the team in in a, in a strange way and i think you're right i think that this is where that starts
2: I'm always interested in how things are written and then how they're enhanced by by the time they make it to the um, screen with the music and just like the other decisions of everyone else who are part of making the final product. I love this the moment where like (laughs) Angel basically like breaks uh, breaks off a bunch of bike locks and they have to ride to the (laughs) Thanksgiving meal triumphantly on bikes. And I'm like, did you write in the script like triumphant music or like this specific piece of music? Like, how did how does some that joke come together with so many like hands having to be a part of it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Let me see if I can pull up the script um, <laughs> and see if see if it says that uh, as we're talking here. Um, um, oh yeah, there's my desktop. You can still hear me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I know that the word cavalry <laughs> that, <laughs> that Ali struggled with uh, was definitely in the script and was was there to, to so that your mind would go back to it uh, when this moment happened of them on the bikes. That was specifically, what can we do that would look like they're riding on horses <laughs> for us? Uh, and so that was it. My guess is that it was either in the script that the music would reflect a cavalry charge or more likely it just said they're the cavalry coming to the rescue and our, our composer, Christoph, probably is, is smart enough to look at that yeah. and go like, oh yeah, that's a music cue. Uh, if they're supposed to feel like cavalry, that's when I step up and do my job and make them be Look, sound
0: like Calvary. It's I, it's such a good moment in the episode because it's just so silly, but they're like, going to fight and help Buffy, but like, they're on these silly bikes. Um, I also yeah. love Anya meeting Angel, and she's like, oh, so that's Angel. He's big and flowery. Um,
1: like Glowery. Glowery, she... right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I really like that because we've never actually seen them talk about Angel with Anya, but like one... one would safely assume, oh, they probably do talk about Angel a lot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Z- and with Xander hating him so much, I'm sure he's complained to Anya about his hate for Angel before.
1: Yeah, I, I that's one of those things where, uh, when you're writing the script, you come upon this moment and you go, "Holy crap!" Has Anya? No, Anya doesn't <laughs> doesn't miss Angel. Okay, so we have to address it. We have to point it <laughs> back. That they, uh, that they haven't met before. Okay, so uh, it, it's one of those that often is ignored until you're in the middle of writing the script. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I found the scene, and it just says, uh, Campus Night, shot from a moving vantage point alongside Xander, Anya, and Willow on bikes, riding as fast as they can. So it it there is no music cue there. Oh. The composer just realized that that's oh, what wow. it is. Huh,
0: that's really cool. I'm sure that that's... Especially as a writer, I'm sure that's cool to be like, oh, wow, they did that good. <laughs> they did a good job of like translating that scene I wrote. Yeah, that's,
1: so, that's the draft that I wrote. That's that's the second writer's draft. It could have undergone changes after that. That's a draft from October 6th of 1999. It could have
0: uh-huh. changed later. <laughs> oh, oh shit, God. we just got an exclusive script reading. I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <King>. <laughs> um so when it actually comes down to the fight, um, was there, like, was it a Joss decision? Was it you? Like, what was the decision to have Buffy fight a bear? Or, like, to have the person <laughs> transform into an animal and have Buffy fight an animal?
1: Yeah, that, I think, came out of my research. Um, when it was, you know, I sort of reported in on what I discovered. And one of, the, one of the things was the sort of... Um, that there was a... Some tradition in the shoemash of of s- appearing in a- as animals transforming to animals, uh, uh, some sort of spirituality linked with animals, and and so I think that came out of like, oh, what are the kinds of things that he would do? Well, he'd be pissed about ears. I found that ears story, and I was like, okay, so he can cut off ears. Oh, really, there were these diseases, and Joss right away sees on, Okay, well, it's Andrew's going to get syphilis. Um, <laughs> And then you know what? What can they do other than just uh, you know a physical assault? Oh, hey, what if he turned into a bear? Um, and then I don't remember how that happened because then next thing you knew, there was this adorable little bear on set. Uh, <laughs> that bear is shot from a very low angle to make him look large. He was very small. I think his name was Peanut. And if <laughs> oh you know, my gosh! <laughs> it was something like that. It was it was something incredibly cute. And if you look at the shot where the potato hits him and he turns, imagine, picked, realize how small that bear is and you can see how hurt his his face looks. <laughs> it, hurt him. it was probably a rubber potato. But he just looks very like, what? I didn't do anything to you. It was, it was a very, very sweet little bear. Um and um uh, uh Marty Knoxon was very brave and leaned right over and gave him a big hug, and the trainers were all kind of nervous looking because I guess even a little bear could yeah. take your face off
0: <laughs> and, uh, I love this behind the scenes info about the bear. <laughs> <laughs> the bear it
1: was it was i I remember when we when we saw the bear, there was a lot of concern that this bear was not going to look particularly scary on film, but they did a good job of
0: of shooting him from like.
1: <laughs> ankle height
0: (laughs) (laughs) um i also really love the line of like the back and forth of spike and buffy which then becomes like pretty second nature with the two of them later on in the show when they're he's just like a bear you made a bear and they're just like going back and forth like i think that's so like silly and wonderful like it reminds it's like very like peak silly buffy which i love um
1: i love that stuff i love a long escalating joke run like that (laughs) because you've got that and then you've got that's for the syphilis and there's just a bunch of jokes there right in the middle that on on a lot of shows you would you wouldn't get away with it but uh on buffy you could just sort of let them be i mean you've done all this work all these pages set to set up these this ridiculous situation Now, let it pay off. Let the jokes flow once once everything's all set up I, I'm a big believer in that
0: <laughs> um, yeah there I... was
1: was a joke that we lost that that I regret where um, when that when that first arrow comes through the window it it impales a little like corn husk doll that she's using as a centerpiece. Mm-hmm. There were two corn husk dolls, and there was this whole joke that got cut in the edit about how. She's had these since she was a kid. She, she named them Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie <laughs> when Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley got married. And she had really high hopes for them as a couple. <laughs> and she was particularly offended when the arrow went through uh, Michael Jackson.
0: <laughs> and
1: that all got cut. So there were some, some jokes that didn't, didn't make it.
2: I love well, that. it's so funny because there is a deep because at the very end when they're sitting all at dinner table you can see that there is still that arrow through the horn person yeah
1: oh really I didn't I missed that but
2: <laughs> I, I saw it at the very end and I thought it was always just like a funny joke about like reminding the viewer that like they're sitting down to have this meal but they just like fought for their lives
1: yeah um, absolutely but it was also you know originally established how important that doll was for her.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, and also the, that whole end, I, is one of my favorite, like, moments, like, in the, the episode, if you were like, what's your favorite moment, it's the very end of Xander just saying, oh, yeah, especially with Angel here, and then everyone turning to Buffy, it's, like, everyone has. I, I screenshot that because I was just like, oh my god, I love this. I'm gonna make this my Facebook cover photo for Thanksgiving. Um, but, like, everyone has such a very them look. Like, Anya's just kind of glaring, like, what's gonna happen? Xander's uh-huh. like, oops. Spike has a, like, shit eating grin on his face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everyone yeah. doing, like, the most and the best with their characters' expressions.
1: And here here's what the script says The script says, um, oh, wow, interesting. The script says, Anya says, especially with Angel here and everything, oh, the others react, forks halfway to mouths, guilty looks on faces. Buffy, Angel? <laughs> huh. So it was originally, in my origin in the second writer's draft, it was Anya saying it, which actually makes a ton of sense.
0: Yeah.
1: And the specification of what they are doing with their faces is very, is left very underbaked. And uh, <laughs> the actors found it. Huh.
2: Well, that's really interesting because- That is. My whole thing is I always found it awkward that it was Xander who said it because Xander wouldn't even be excited to see Angel. So that was always one of my bees in my bonnet about the episode.
1: Yeah, it looks like, looks like I, I agreed. It looks like that was originally, uh, originally Anya. Huh.
0: Weird. I wonder what changed that,
1: huh? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could have been, like... You don't want to make Anya stupid, yeah. and Xander can be forgiven because he was so out of it with the syphilis and such, um, sure. that it's a little less culpable. Um,
0: I also I want you guys to know, every time any of us have said syphilis or schumage, I just hear Anya singing those words in my head from the musical. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he got diseases from a shoemash drive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, yeah. She says the diseases and the Xander call back to syphilis is in the Buffy Rose and He's like, no more funny syphilis. <laughs> That's
1: right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I love that. That makes me so happy when a, when a show knows its knows its own history.
2: <laughs> so Jane, I think it's time for us to talk about what Don would be doing if she were in this episode
0: <laughs> or in this so normally it's harder for us when line,
2: or in this timeline. Yeah,
0: like when there's an episode where we don't see Buffy's house or Joyce, it's kind of hard to say what Don would be doing, but I'm we're interested to know what you think overall what she would be doing in season 4 of Buffy.
1: Well, I think I know. I I was very quickly able to go. How would I have integrated her into this episode? And I think she would have been the one at the end. I think you know. I'm glad you brought it up right now because that was my first thought. Was it would have been Dawn at the end, to say Xander or Angel was here? Oh yeah, Uh, because she's the kid. She's the Tattletale kid. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and if you're talking about persons who can be forgiven, Dawn is the right. easiest one because she's the sister. She's a child. Yeah, and she, she and the a kid, good. so she has to be forgiven.
1: Yeah, and she'd be, she'd be very young. And I think that it would have actually been very helpful to have Dawn here. It would have helped motivate Buffy's obsession with the meal. Mm. Um, oh, because yeah. with Joyce Away, it would have been her going, like, I have to do this for Dawn. Donnie's life is, you know, so messed up with Mom gone and my crazy life and Um, we gotta, we gotta try to make this as normal as we can for her. I think that would have helped with that. Hmm. And I think Dawn could have been very powerful in, um, uh, having a little sympathy for Spike. Um, you know, nobody ever fed Spike and I could see Dawn like trying to feed him, uh, gravy with an eyedropper and him not liking being infantilized by her. And I think that could have been very funny. Oh, yeah.
2: I think there also could have been because I mean we do get to see like a Dawn and Spike friendship blossom yeah. later because he's one of the few who doesn't treat her like a kid. I mean yeah. she got a little crush on him. I think mm-hmm. it, it could have even been the Genesis could have been here like when they were attacking like Buffy. I mean say this in like writer in, like script talk like Buffy takes a knife and like cuts Spike's rope and says like go protect Dawn and like bring her upstairs or something
1: yeah although one of the things I was really proud of, because like I was saying that you know every, so much of this is determined by the break of the episode. you know, you're sent out with pretty detailed outline. Um, and one of the things that I did sort of on my own authority was to have Spike hit by arrows. Um, <laughs> and I would have hated to lose that. <laughs> um, I think it, I love that he stays tied up through the whole fight. But I think Dawn taking care of Spike is probably, I think I would have enjoyed that more of like her just taking it on herself to like, and and I think you're right. To use that as the origin of, of what became their friendship later. Uh, I think Dawn would have fit
0: beautifully into this episode. Yeah. I, I, honestly, when I told you that that's a question we asked, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be hard to answer because Joyce isn't in the episode. But A <laughs> plus, great job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to ask you this question because, through season three, whenever we discussed what we thought Dawn would be doing, everyone was really split as to whether they thought Dawn would love or hate Faith. And I wanted to know what you would think.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I, my first inclination is she likes Faith more than Buffy and it drives Buffy crazy.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. That was that was something similar, I think, to what I said is that maybe in the beginning, like Faith, Buffy thinks Faith is the cooler Slayer.
1: Yeah.
2: So, so we had a very, I forget what episode it was, Ian, but we had a very, like, time travel timeline thing oh, yeah. going <laughs> on. Because, you know, when Faith comes back, Dawn is not a big fan of her at that point. But I think that it started out that Faith, I mean, uh, Dawn was a bigger fan of Faith. But I think it's that you can you could have incorporated if Dawn was in the episodes This Year's Girl and Who Are You, that like she was also being held hostage along with Joyce. And that kind of starts her dislike for Faith. But I also agree that like in the beginning I think that Dawn would have been a big fan of Faith as like the cool version of her sister.
1: Yeah, I do I think you know she would have got a little leather jacket and Buffy <laughs> would've been disgusted and, and <laughs> felt rejected. I it feels to me like that's where we would have gone. Huh. But but we wouldn't have given Buffy a sister um, before the before the plot called for it because all our characters are only children. Oz, Willow, uh, yeah. Xander, Anya, if you count Anya as having any sort of uh, sibling structure, she has <laughs> not. Um, uh, it is a world created
0: entirely out of only children.
2: Hmm. Oh, interesting.
0: I never. That's not even a fact that even crossed my mind. But yeah, I. You're right. <laughs> even when
2: Tara's family visits, it's not brothers and sisters; it's cousins, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think that's right.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, our characters just do not have uh, have siblings.
0: Huh.
2: huh. Well, it also it also reminds me of. I think it's in the, one of the fam- what like that essay by, um, of course, I'm not going to remember her name now, but, um, the New Yorker writer who, who covers culture and TV, Margaret Nussbaum, right? No, Emily oh, Nussbaum.
1: Emily Nussbaum. Emily
2: Nussbaum. She, when she writes about, um, sex in the city, cause that's also a show about alternative families. She writes about how like you never see the other characters, like brothers or sisters or parents, and you're just supposed to think of them as like their family Mm -hmm. And they operate like that. That's kind of how I think about Buffy as well. Like, I mean, you, you see Willow's mom once and we eventually lose Buffy's mom and we have the sister that's manufactured, but like, it's very deliberate often that you're not seeing a lot of their family because we're supposed to be focusing on creating our own.
1: Yeah. Emily Nussbaum's genius, by the way. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I, I, I also think that, you know, every writer is reflecting their personal experience. And, you know, Joss has half-brothers, but they weren't always raised together, I think. Um, And I I think a lot of this was, you know, him reflecting what he knew. Um, And, uh, you know, if if you haven't in your personal life thought a lot about how siblings change your experience, then it's not going to be the first thing you run to write about.
0: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's fair. (laughs) I find that all my whenever I write fiction, all my characters always are half Puerto Rican and usually queer. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, I mean the fun thing about TV though is is that you do get to write for such a nice wide variety of characters. You get to and characters you didn't create, which which I love. Uh, I'm much more interested in doing my job than Joss's job. Of I, I love stepping onto a new show and going like, "All right, who am I today? <laughs> what brain do I get to step into?" But I would imagine that
0: also you have to do a lot of research for that, right? Like, or at least watch, like binge watch every episode that came before, right?
1: Oh yeah, when you're hired on a show, that's what you spend your first uh, couple weeks of evenings doing. If if you haven't had time before the job starts. You're playing catch-up that first week or so while you're watching every episode.
2: It's interesting that you bring up, like, are there little characters in the Buffyverse that you are, like, the person who wrote into the Buffyverse and they ended up getting, like, more than just one time on the show? Like, I don't know who was the first person who, like, wrote Clem and then Clem got, like, six or seven episodes, right?
1: Yeah, was the first one I thought of. I, if, if Clem started out in that kitten poker scene, that uh, I wrote that. Yes, that, that
0: was, was that appear, was his first episode. Yeah.
1: Um, then, then yeah, I may I may be responsible for Clem. And oh. uh, there's a thing in TV, a beautiful, wonderful thing called character payments, which means that if you create a character, if the character first appears, appears first in an episode with your name on it as the writer you get a little tiny check from the writer's guild for something like $300 or something for every other episode they appear in. Oh my God. So, wow. <laughs> and so if you created a character who went on to become a major character in a show, um, like if you were the writer on Mary Tyler Moore and you wrote the first episode that Rhoda appeared in, but oh, yeah. she was in the pilot, but even you know, someone who wasn't in the pilot, um, You can make a substantial amount of money off just character payments. And it creates a very funny thing in writer's rooms because I I don't remember if I got character payments on Clem, but (laughs) let's say I did. That would motivate me every time there is some big group scene coming up or some moment where the townsfolk are doing something. It would motivate me to go, you know who should be there? (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so you said, it was very funny interchanges in writer's room with the different writers uh good-naturedly jockeying to get the character in that they have the character payments for
0: i i feel like you're like giving like but, us a little class here jane like i'm like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> like does that
2: include like let's say in an alternate universe that anya had a spin-off like whoever invented the character anya would get money for that spin-off
1: yes that is true huh. oh wow, wow. Yeah, it's it's a good deal. Yeah. You want to create the character that got spun off. You want them <laughs> to appear first in your episode. Um, yeah,
0: that's really interesting. I never knew. I never even heard of that. Huh?
1: Yeah, I was on. I was on a show called Something So Right, and I created a, a character there—one an ex-wife of one of the main characters—and then the show continued. The show switched networks, and I didn't stay with it. But there was a whole year where that show was running on ABC. Uh, and I was getting character payments for every episode she was in, which was pretty much every episode, even though I was off working on some other show. Huh. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I did, so we also for season four, cause I will reveal the secret. This is our first season four episode we're actually recording. Um, we decided we also wanted to ask people their favorite scene and their favorite outfit from the episode. Um, from the episode, okay. Yeah. So what would be your faves of those from this episode?
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> my favorite scene is that when the the, the, the exchange we already cited of the, you made a bear, undo it. <laughs> oh, potatoes. Thank you for the syphilis. That, <laughs> I just love that whole joke run. And I love Giles' apartment. Uh, favorite outfit. Um, Willow's wearing a really cute sweater when she's talking about um, the the yam sham, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, I was going to say, even though the Buffy cowboy outfit is iconic, I was really liking there was this one Buffy sweater. And Jane, let me tell you, I can write an essay about Buffy's, I mean, Willow's outfits in season four and how first year (laughs) of college they are because they're amazing. (laughs) Willow's freshman year wardrobe is so good. Um, She's wearing like a peace sign sweater that's like this really just like subdued blue color. And then she's wearing like a really floral skirt with it, but it's like a really long sweater. Oh, it's so good.
1: Yes, I saw that. I saw the peace sign sweater that really jumped out at me, but I did, but not sure it was in a positive way. Um, (laughs) I think she was wearing a brightly colored sweater at some point, like a fuzzy brightly colored thing that I liked.
0: Yeah. Um, But I I could,
1: could be wrong. My eyes don't go to the clothes. Generally. I I often end an episode going, wait, wait, were they wearing clothes?
0: (laughs) I feel like, I, uh, when I interned at BuzzFeed, one of the first, like, Buffy things I wrote was all about the, like, 22 most Buffy outfits Buffy ever wore. Um, <laughs> I and, like,
1: think I said that. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> that makes me it very was happy. Was
1: like a Twitter account yeah.
2: that's, like, solely dedicated to tweeting out outfits from Buffy. Now, in just, like, every few hours, they just tweet out an image of just a random <laughs> outfit from a random episode.
0: And we had a we had this YA author Zoraida Cordova on, and she said that she introduced her nieces and nephews to the show, and like they've been going through it on Hulu. And she was like, I love the idea that like, you know, the reason I love the show because it was like a woman in power, and to them that doesn't occur to them that that's a like crazy notion. And she said right. that the craziest notion to them is all the fashion choices. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's some great there's some great stuff. I know Buffy has one particular white long um like raincoat trench coaty kind of thing mm-hmm. um she often wears in scenes where it's cold outside um where it was actually cold when we were shooting and we, I, we used to call that the Dr. Buffy look because it looks <laughs> a lot like a white lab coat <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, um well,
2: well we wanted to ask you too I mean just to close up talking about the episode um I mean, you—you you, when we gave you choices on which one to appear on, you really wanted to come talk about Pangs. We wanted you to talk about where you think Pangs, like, ranks in your favorite episodes that you've written.
1: Uh, written for Buffy? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it ranks, it ranks highly. Uh, I think Superstar and Storyteller are both super special episodes. That's the Jonathan episode and the Andrew episode, and they both break the format of the show mm-hmm. and so I have such a fondness for those I think those probably go ahead of pangs um I like uh, Harsh Light of Day also because I just don't think it has a weak scene not not because of anything I did but just because of the story that we're telling in Harsh Light of Day every single scene is like a major scene for the characters in it they're just they're just all every scene has something fun and surprising in it in that episode um uh, and uh, but then and then I put pangs I put pangs next because uh, mm-hmm. it's one of the ones where I spent some of the most time on set watching it be filmed, which I didn't often do um, and uh, just because I think it, it's it's as you were talking about it's got such a poignant mix of the funny and the sad.
0: yeah that makes me really happy yeah <laughs> I, honestly, thank you so much for being here. This was great hearing you talk about an episode you wrote.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It was great to talk about it.
0: Um, and yeah. Um, if you, so we'll wrap up the episode. I, Matthew and I are fans of it as well. Um, and if you want to follow us on Twitter, is it that time, Matthew?
2: Yes, it is.
0: If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow Matthew on Twitter, it's at MatthewRodriguez1T, a G, and a Z.
2: And if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at IanXCarlos. And remember to uh, review the podcast on iTunes and tell people about it. And if, Jane, if people want to follow
0: you on Twitter, where can they find you?
1: I'm at Jane Espenson on Twitter. Great. Okay. Amazing.
0: And we'll see you guys next week. And thanks for listening. And thank you so much for being on, Jane.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye.